This is the Doubles Only Tennis Podcast, where you learn the best tips and strategies in the world to help you become a smarter, more effective tennis player. You'll hear interviews with pro tour doubles players and coaches, including easy-to-use lessons to improve your game and win more matches. My name is Will Bocek, founder of the Tennis Tribe, doubles strategy coach, and host of the show. Hey everybody, welcome to the show. Today we are going to cover tiebreakers. What we're going to talk about is uh, how to win more tiebreakers, how to deal with nerves, what should your strategy be during tiebreakers, so that we can get kind of a better understanding of um, how tiebreakers work and what uh, what we should be doing to to win more matches um, in in a lot of these you know whether you play USTA or some other league a lot of these matches come down to uh, these ten point tiebreakers that they play in place of a third set uh, and I've had a few listeners uh, reach out and ask for an episode on this um, a guy I play with Raj from Dallas he uh, commented uh, about a month or two ago. Um, and asked for an episode on this, so uh, I wanted to go ahead and get this out there. Um, and I've broken this down into a few different areas. Uh, the first thing we'll talk about is nerves, uh, how to view nerves, because I feel like people have a lot of misconceptions about them, um, and a lot of that is due to uh, TV announcers, in my opinion. Um, the second thing we'll talk about is... Uh, An article I read and have have talked about um, in my courses and uh, on the blog a little bit a while back about tiebreakers on the pro tour. Um, So I'll talk about that and how we can apply some of that knowledge to our own game. And then the last thing we'll talk about is how should we actually be playing the tiebreakers? What kind of strategies should we uh, be implementing? Um, And I'll give you some tips at the end on... uh, Double specific double strategies for uh, winning more uh, 10 point tiebreakers or seven point tiebreakers. This really applies to both. Um, so, to start, uh, we will chat about nerves and getting nervous. Uh, this definitely applies to everybody who plays tennis. Um, I played a match a few years ago, a mixed match, uh, where we had a chance to go to nationals, and uh, my partner and I were down. I think eight, seven in the 10 point tiebreaker. And I double faulted because I was nervous. Uh, And then we got down nine, seven and then ended up losing, uh, I think 10, eight, I think we won the next point and then they hit a service winner or something. But um, yeah, this is something I've definitely dealt with uh, over the last several years. I feel like I've improved some, um, but it definitely creeps back in from time to time. Uh, And the first thing that really people have a misconception about um, is that there's a way to eliminate nerves. And that's that's just not going to happen. Um, everybody from uh, me to you to Roger Federer to Serena Williams, uh, Nadal, Djokovic, everyone in the world gets nervous in type matches. Um, it's totally normal. Uh, the key is um, not to get rid of your nerves or not to uh, find a way to eliminate them, but to learn how to play with them. Um, you'll hear a lot of TV announcers like Chris Everett will do this, and um, uh, sometimes uh, McEnroe will do it. They'll just say like, oh, they're they're just not feeling any nerves right now. Um, and that's, 
I guarantee if you ask the player, that's definitely not true. Um, what they've done is they have just practiced playing under pressure so many times that they just know how to do it. Um, there is a uh, a blogger who I really like a lot and, and an author. He's written like, I don't know, 20 books or something um, named Seth Godin. And he has this phrase called dancing with the fear. Um, and I think it kind of applies here. You have to learn how to like dance with the nerves. You have to learn how to play with them uh, despite being nervous, not try to uh, get rid of them or view them as a problem. So that's the first thing. It's really kind of a mindset shift of, you know, oh, I'm I'm such a nervous person or, uh, you know, I always choke under pressure. We need to stop telling ourselves that story and instead realize that, okay, I'm starting to feel nervous. This is totally normal. Um, how am I going to deal with this? How, how can I play my best and play free and play loose despite uh, a lot of these nerves that I'm feeling? So a few tips for kind of dealing with that. Um, one is to really just keep your body moving. Uh, I've started um, kind of bouncing uh, on my feet a little bit, uh, moving my feet around before every point. Um, I, do, I always do it on returns now uh, and then serves when, uh, when it's kind of a pressure point or something like that. I'll do that. I'll, I'll just kind of bounce and jump up and down a little bit. Um, so that helps a little bit, kind of shake the nerves out. Um, there's a coach, uh, Jeff Greenwald, who lives in California, um, who I've worked with in the past. And he, uh, he has some really good courses on, uh, mental performance and things like that, that I've gone through. And, um, one of his tips is to think about your feet and the contact of the soles of your shoes, uh, with the ground. So it kind of gets your mind off the game and gets your uh, body to kind of stay present. Um, one another thing I've read, uh, I don't know when it was, but it, it was a while back, is to think about your toes. Um, I think somebody said like, there's no way to think about your toes and be nervous at the same time. Um, I'm not sure that's entirely true, but it could help. Uh, or you could think about like stuff around you. So if you're, um, you know, if it's a really nice day, you could be looking like at the trees or the sun or something like that to really just kind of appreciate uh, the moment and, and try to enjoy the competition and have fun rather than thinking that this is the the end of the world if you don't uh, don't win this tiebreaker. Um, because at the end of the day, uh, none of us are, are getting paid to play tennis. We're not the professionals. Um, so uh, at the end of the day, if we're not having fun, then, then it doesn't really matter. Um, so yeah, think about things like that to try to appreciate the the moment and appreciate the pressure a little bit more. Um, keep your body moving. Uh, feel, you know, stay present and feel the contact of your feet on the ground, um, things like that. And, and hopefully that will help you kind of alleviate some of those nerves. Uh, and then another thing is, uh, like I said earlier, really, we have to stop telling ourselves a story that we're a choker or a nervous person, um, if that is you. Uh, I know a lot of people who do that and they just say like, oh, I, I always get super nervous and, and just choke away tiebreakers. Um, that A, that's probably not true. Um, and then B, if it is true, it's not helpful. Uh, so there's an author I've mentioned before uh, named James Clear. He wrote a book called Atomic Habits that's really good. Uh, and he talks about the stories that we tell ourselves and how uh, each time we 
kind of tell ourselves that story or each time we lose a tiebreaker and say, oh, I always choke in tiebreakers, we're kind of casting a vote for ourselves that we are that type of person. So it's reinforcing a negative behavior, and that's really not good. Um, so instead, uh, if we lose a tiebreaker, we attri- we should attribute it to, you know, we just got unlucky or they just played better. Um, something like that, rather than saying like, oh, I choked it away. I'm, I always do this. This is my fault. Um, don't make it about yourself. Make it about uh, something else in the case that you lose, um, lose a tiebreaker. So uh, next, let's start talking about the tiebreakers themselves. Um, I've talked a lot about nerves so far, uh, and hopefully that was helpful. If you have questions on any of that, definitely um, reach out. Uh, leave a comment um, if you're listening to this online or uh, if you're a member of the Doubles newsletter that goes out every Thursday, you can always reply to that as well. Um, So for tiebreakers, you'll hear, this is another TV thing, you'll hear me talk about this a lot. Um, So I remember a few years ago, and I think a lot of announcers still do it, they talk about how like John Isner is so good in tiebreakers because he has such a big serve. And it's such a critical advantage in tiebreakers to have a big serve. And that never made sense to me because tiebreakers are just made up of points. And so are games and sets and matches. And there's no rules that change within a given point within the tiebreaker that make the serve a bigger advantage. So I I was always skeptical of that. And then uh, a few years ago, I read an article by Jeff Sackman uh, I think his website is tennisabstract.com. Um, if you just Google tennis abstract, you should find it. But he did a statistical breakdown of tiebreakers on the Pro Tour, and he determined that uh, the odds of winning a point in the a tiebreaker are just about the same for every player as the odds of winning a point in a non-tiebreaker situation. So... Uh, with that information, you could really make an argument that nerves affect everybody the same. Um, so he, he looked at Isner specifically, and Isner did have one year where he won a disproportionate amount of tiebreakers. It was something, I don't know, 70, 80% or something like that. Uh, but if you look at his career overall, it balances out, and he wins about the same amount of points in tiebreakers as he does in uh a normal set or a normal game. So um, nerves really affect everybody the same. And there's no you know, huge advantage if you're great at um, serving or great at returning or whatever it is. Um, I, I think in that article, and I'll link to it in the show notes, I think he actually found that there was a very, very marginal um, difference uh, or advantage for the returner, not the server. Um, I think it was like 0.0 three percent or something very marginal um, that returners win slightly more points in tiebreakers than servers maybe they focus a little more because they know that the um, the points matter so uh, you know we can develop theories around that but we're really not sure uh, but anyways um, yeah there's nothing different about the these tiebreaker points so uh, with that in mind we don't really need to change a whole lot as far as uh, how we're playing um, or thinking strategically to beat a particular team. 
So next I want to talk about how should we actually be playing the tiebreaker. Um, I have a blog post with eight tips to win more 10 point tiebreakers. I'll link to that in the show notes and I'm going to cover some of that here. Um, but remember, uh, these points are no different than the points that you played in the previous uh, six, six or more games. So um, we want to stick with what got us here. Uh, at this point in the match, whether it's a first set tiebreaker or a third set tiebreaker, you've got enough data, you have enough point play, um, you have enough information to be able to develop a strategy against the team you're playing against or in singles against the player you're playing against. So you should have um, a good idea of what sort of plays you want to run with your partner when you're serving, where you should be returning uh, during the point, how you should be moving, what shots the opponents are uncomfortable with, uh, and how to how to kind of match up your strengths against their weaknesses. So stick with the, the things that got you there, um, or at least the positive things that got you there. Uh, and don't, uh, don't take on too much risk as well. So one thing that, um, uh, that I like to do a lot at the net is, uh, I'll poach early to, uh, make the opponent redirect their return down the line. And that works, you know, depending on the player that'll work, uh, three or four out of five times. Right. But if we're at five all in a seven point tiebreaker and my partner's serving, I should probably not do that because that's taking on too much risk. Even if they're only 30% likely to make it, that's a 30% chance that we're guaranteed to lose the point. Um, so in that case, you know, if you're going to poach, um, you might wait till they start their swing. Or uh, if you want to force them to redirect down the line, maybe go with a fake so that you can recover and uh, hit that volley if they do uh, make the ball down the line. Um, but don't uh, don't go with that all-out poach if um, if you know it's in a tight spot like five all on a seven pointer or you know nine eight in a ten pointer or something like that because um, taking on too much risk, especially late in tiebreakers, uh, you can just get unlucky and um, you don't want a thirty percent chance of uh, them being guaranteed to win the point. Um, instead, we'd rather have you know give them the 35% chance of making the return, but um, if they do make it, you can stay in the point. Um, hopefully that makes sense. Uh, so don't take on too much risk, uh, especially late in the tiebreaker. So kind of tied in with that is um, that, that we have to consider is luck is just going to be a big factor in these tiebreakers. Um, I was playing a tiebreaker, a 10-point tiebreaker for a third set uh, that I lost uh, two or three weeks ago, and I think we lost 10-7 in the opponent had a net cord that trickled over the net that we couldn't get to, and they also shanked a lob for a winner. Uh, I think my partner was serving and volleying on that point, uh, and we lost 10-7. So if if we get those two points, we're up 9-8 in the tiebreaker um, and, and likely win the tiebreaker. So we do have to think about that. Luck is a factor, so we have to find ways to minimize it. Um, you know, try not to Again, this kind of ties in with don't take on too much risk, but try not to take on uh, too much risk to where, you know, if they have a shot, a 10% shot or a 20% shot at making something, but they're guaranteed to win the point, um, it may not be something that, that we want to do. Um, so just, just think about that while you're out there. Um, luck is always going to play a factor in these. 
Um, and if we can minimize that, then we can improve our odds to win the tiebreaker. Uh, and the next, a few things that I personally um, think about, and hopefully these will help you as well. Uh, so one thing is I like to move forward a lot in tiebreakers. Uh, if I sit at the baseline, especially if I'm hitting against somebody who doesn't hit the ball real hard, um, I get too much time to think about my stroke and get nervous and get tight uh, and miss the ball. So um, I should probably be moving forward anyways because it's a you know a good strategy for me. I like to get to the net. Um, but uh, in tiebreakers especially, I don't want to sit at the baseline, have time to get nervous, think about this forehand I'm about to hit. Uh, when I'm at the net, I don't have time for that. Um, it's just reaction volleys. They're hitting it at me. I'm taking time away from them. And uh, I don't have time to get nervous on a forehand or backhand volley because uh, you know I'm up close at the net and the ball's coming too fast. So uh, I do like to move forward. Um, a few other tips. Uh, we really want to be making first serves in tiebreakers. We don't want to allow ourselves to get in a situation where we have all this pressure of a second serve. Um, uh, the I, I guess there there can be exceptions to that. You know if you if you're real confident in your second serve anyways, you can take on a little more risk with your first serve. Uh, but if you're somebody who uh, double faults a good bit and doesn't um, doesn't have a ton of confidence in your second serve, in tiebreakers, we really need to make a lot of first serves. So uh, think about that. Um, for returns, uh, we only get one shot at returns. We don't get two shots like we do on the serve. So uh, we want to make as many returns as possible. Uh, don't give free points trying to redirect something down the line or trying to uh, go for more than you need to. Um, the easiest way to make a high percentage of returns is to aim for that middle net strap area uh, in the center of the court. Um, so we want to play our returns with high margin, uh, make a high percentage of them, and make the other team uh, really beat us when we're on the return side. Um, moving more at the net is a really good strategy in tiebreakers. So like I said earlier, we don't want to take on too much risk and, and you know, poach too early if the opponent has a forehand and they, they can beat, uh, beat us up the line. But we can do a lot more faking uh, and kind of lateral movement at the net. So uh, moving more at the net will force the opponent to think more about their ground strokes, uh, hopefully redirect some returns that... Uh, that they shouldn't, and we'll be able to force a lot more errors that way. So moving more at the net uh, is a great strategy that also kind of alleviates some of those nerves. So we talked about earlier, um, kind of staying on your feet and moving a little bit more and, and kind of releasing some of that energy to deal with the nerves. Moving more at the net is a great way to do that. Uh, and then the last tip is uh, talking with your partner. So don't... Uh, you know, I'll usually signal throughout a match, but during tiebreakers and during pressure points, I'll always go back and talk with my partner about where they want to serve or where I'm going to serve or how they need to be moving at the net, things to look for, um, anything like that. So, you know, during tiebreakers, during pressure points, talk with your partner instead of signal, uh, have a game plan going into each point, um, and if they're serving, ask them what serve they want to hit. Uh, don't, um, uh, in general, I don't like to tell my partner what serve to hit um, unless uh, unless they ask me, you know, what I think. Um, I want them 
I want it to be their idea. I want them to feel confident about the plan uh, or about the serve that they're about to hit. Um, so uh, asking them what their what serve they want to hit um, is, is really a, a good strategy to, to make sure they feel comfortable. Um, and if you do have a particular location that you want them to go to, uh, it's, it's really all about phrasing. I'll, I'll include a link in the show notes to my um, blog post on how to be a good doubles partner, but uh, don't say like, hey, you need to hit to the T here. Um, just ask them, hey, like it looked like they were uncomfortable with their last backhand uh, on this one. What do you think about serving down the T here? You know, that way they can kind of, you know, it's an open-ended question and they can kind of give their input. Um, but don't, uh, it's, it's usually not a good idea, I find, to just instruct them and tell them exactly uh, what to do without kind of leaving it open and giving them, getting their input as well. So hopefully that all helped. Uh, if you have any questions or comments about this specific topic, uh, definitely leave them below in the show notes if you're listening online. Uh, if you're on your phone, you can always go to thetennistribe.com and fill out the contact form. Or again, if you're subscribed to the Doubles newsletter, you can reply to that as well. Uh, I'd love to hear if you have any things that have worked for you uh, with regard to improving your um, tiebreaker performance, uh, anything like that. Um, definitely let me know. Uh, and I will talk to you in the next episode. Thanks for listening. If you're a doubles player, you'll love our weekly doubles newsletter. Every Thursday, we send you doubles tips and strategies to help you improve your game and become a smarter player. When you sign up, you'll get a free 10-page guide on how to play with more confidence and dominate at the net in doubles. You can go to thetennistribe.com to sign up now.